Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Glad to have you back for another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas out to the rocky ranges of the Transpecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. More than 10,000 pounds of rice has been donated to families in need in 21 Texas counties. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. When it comes to water, losing what you once had can force a farmer to start thinking outside the box. We're seeing that play out in the Texas Panhandle. I'm James Hunt in Amarillo, and I'll bring you that story. A Texas company is a semi-finalist in National Ag Innovation Competition. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domel with news headlines. A group of Texans have donated 11,000 pounds of rice to help families in need this holiday season. According to AgriLife Today, the Western Rice Belt Conference Committee purchased and donated the rice after the decision was made that their annual conference will be held online instead of in person in January. The group, which is comprised of extension offices in Wharton, Matagorda, and Colorado counties, used funds that were already gathered for the conference to buy the rice from Riviana Foods. The rice was milled and packaged into two-pound bags and then donated to the Central Texas Food Bank on behalf of Texas rice farmers in the lower Colorado River Basin. The rice is being distributed to struggling families in 21 Texas counties. The Texas A&M Forest Service is urging Texans who had live Christmas trees this year to dispose of them properly to reduce the risk of fire and damage in their homes. According to AgriLife Today, dried out Christmas trees are a fire danger and should not be left in the home or garage or placed outside against a building. Instead, you should remove all ornaments and decorations from the tree, drain the water from the stand reservoir, cover the tree with a appropriate size plastic bag or tree bag, and take it to a disposal site. If your community has a curbside tree disposal option, make sure the tree is not blocking the sidewalk or road. Additional tips are available on today.agrilife.org. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. USDA made a major cut in the size of the U.S. cotton crop in its most recent supply and demand report. Texas A&M cotton marketing specialist John Robinson says he wasn't surprised at all to see such a large cut, but he was surprised that they waited so late to make it. It really gave me pause that USDA was holding to an estimate of 17 million for the U.S. crop, 17 million bales. It's kind of late in the season for them to be making the first really big adjustment. So there was a lot of disbelief, clamor, uncertainty about that 
production cut, but you know, here we've had it. It may go down a little bit more. Robinson says the reason he was expecting such a large cut in the size of the cotton crop is because of all the problems we've had this year right here in Texas. Well, a majority of 900,000 bales of that December WASDE were a reduction in Texas. You know, a lot of people were expecting it in August because we had a really dry year. Then we started getting tropical storms. It had one or two hit Texas, brushed Texas, and then most of them hit the mid uh, Gulf Coast, but we had a lot of tropical events. Then back in Texas, we had an early freeze up in the plains, and then we had an ice storm, just all kinds of things going on. And then anecdotal stories from farmers about you know low turnouts and fewer bales ginned and gins finishing the season early, um, all of which would make you think, you know, there's probably not much out there. And that's a big reason we're looking at cotton prices in the high 70s right now, despite the drop in cotton demand because of COVID-19. When it comes to water, Texas panhandle farmers are having to think outside the box. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. I think as we move into 2021 and just even going forward, there's a lot of interest in alternatives. What can we do to make these traditional cropping systems more profitable? That's Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell, who says the search for alternatives is driven first and foremost by concerns about water. Our region is prone to drought, and the Ogallala Aquifer's continuing decline means many panhandle farmers have lost much of the irrigation capacity they once had. Dr. Bell says in some cases, farmers responding to water limitations are doing what was once pretty much unthinkable in the panhandle, growing corn without irrigation. We know this region is not a dryland corn region, but what is surprising, even this year, as hard as it was, there are a few producers who were successful with dryland corn. And Bell says by foregoing groundwater pumping and finding ways of reducing other production costs like fertilizer and seed, farmers going dryland might not get the kind of tonnage that comes with irrigated corn, but they might still make money. Maximum profit does not always coincide with maximum pounds. And so we might be looking at 50 to 60 bushel dryland corn, which is an excellent dryland corn crop in this region. But, you know, we're pulling back those inputs on that. While dryland corn is unconventional for the panhandle, planting sorghum is not. And Dr. Bell says even more acres of that crop could be planted here next year. Grain sorghum makes sense. It is a drought-tolerant crop. It is a heat-tolerant crop. And so we can put it in these limited irrigated scenarios and on dry land, and it's not going to be as risky. Bell also says the drought-tolerant attributes of alternative crops like sesame and black-eyed peas might earn them more prominence in the panhandle crop mix in the future. In Amarillo, James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A Texas company is a semifinalist in a national ag competition. Tom Nicoletti has the story. The Farm Bureau Ag Innovation Challenge is a national business competition that showcases U.S. startups developing innovative solutions that address challenges facing America's farmers, ranchers, and rural communities. It was launched in 2015, and the challenge was the first national business competition of its kind focused exclusively on rural entrepreneurs. One of the semi-finalists for the American Farm Bureau Award uh, that will be announced in the coming weeks is uh, Parisante, 
and the co-founder of uh, that company is Josh Seagroves. He joins us today from uh, Central Texas in Williamson County, and uh, uh, Josh is uh, not only a co-founder, but he is also a farmer and rancher uh, operating uh, outside the town of Hutto in uh, that part of Texas. And uh, Josh, explain to us uh, all about uh, Parasante. What do you folks do? So we deliver insights and machine learning capabilities uh, directly to the farmer. Uh, we call ourselves the Blue Collar Analytics Company. Uh, you know, we service uh, a lot of the warfighter, the farmer, as well as the roughneck. And what type of information is provided for uh, these uh, folks uh, out in the country, farmers, ranchers, rural communities? So what we do is uh, those typical insights that uh, you would normally see in, say, some big corporations or things like that, those capabilities, uh, we package those up and, and actually get it on the farm to the farmer. So being able to tell water levels as well as localized weather, and even tracking, uh, you know, cattle production and the performance of the cattle. There's a lot of uh, different capabilities with uh, both crops and cattle, for instance. How long have uh, you folks been in business uh, providing this service to the agricultural world? We started uh, early 2019, and we started because we noticed that the lack of information getting into the hands of the farmers. I'm a farmer myself. I grew up on a farm. Being able to get insights and information into the hands of the farmers so they can make actually quick decisions, see trends over time, and those other capabilities. So what type of platform is available for them? In other words, is this uh, technology uh, for their desktop, for their uh, cab in their combine, or how are they uh, utilizing what you folks are providing. We have a, an edge device that collects data from multiple different sources. Uh, and we also have some sensors as well that uh, we can uh, put in the ground or on vehicles or on the combine uh, in those capabilities. And being able to bring this data in from not only, you know, like your production or your water levels in the ground as well as your herd performance, but being able to bring in all types of data, bringing that together right then and there on the farm and giving you those insights. That again is Josh Seagroves. He is co-founder of a Texas-based company called Parasante. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. President Trump has signed the latest coronavirus relief bill. So what's in it for agriculture? Rod Bain takes a look from Washington. The vote totals from the House and Senate. The A's are 359, the nays are 53. In this vote, the A's are 91, the nays are 7. Approving the $2.3 trillion measure funding the federal government through the end of the current fiscal year and coronavirus economic relief. A bill signed into law by President Donald Trump. In terms of agriculture, highlighted items include another round of coronavirus food assistance program payments for producers, assistance programs for the biofuel, dairy, and cotton industries, grants for small livestock and poultry processors to meet federal food safety inspection standards, as well as increased funding for the specialty crop block grant program. More money for USDA's Reconnect Rural Broadband Expansion Program and reauthorization of the Water Resources Development Act to improve existing waterway infrastructure and study potential new projects. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. The monarch butterfly will not be added to the endangered or threatened species lists. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. 
And can you give your dogs Benadryl for allergies? Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd answers that question coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Allergies are a very common problem in dogs, so can we just give them Benadryl like we do our kids? Dr. Bob Judd answers that question. Allergies seem to affect over 50% of the dogs presented to our veterinary clinic, especially in the summer. Allergies can be to pollen, food, or fleas, or all of them, And the most common symptoms are severe scratching leading to skin infections and ear infections. When most people think about allergies, they think about allergies in people, and antihistamines are used by many to control seasonal allergies. There are many different antihistamines available over-the-counter for humans, and many of them have been studied in dogs. Although many people first think of Benadryl when considering an antihistamine in dogs, it has been shown that oral absorption of Benadryl in dogs is very poor at less than 10%. So oral Benadryl is not very effective in dogs. A study was recently performed comparing the effectiveness of oral Benadryl compared to the use of oral Zyrtec in dogs. The drugs were given twice a day, and then the dogs were injected with histamine to gauge their response with a saline injection as a control. There was no decrease in reaction of the histamine at the injection site by using oral Benadryl. There was a significant decrease in reaction at the injection sites in dogs given oral Zyrtec, indicating that Zyrtec is more likely to be effective at treating skin allergies and itching in dogs than Benadryl. Hydroxazine is another antihistamine that is actually converted in the body to the same drug contained in Zyrtec, and although it is a prescription, it is less expensive in some cases. Overall, antihistamines are not very effective at treating allergies in dogs, and Benadryl is probably the least effective due to a lack of absorption. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The monarch butterfly will not be added to the endangered or threatened species list. Jessica Nomal has more in today's wildlife report. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service will continue to review monarch butterfly populations and habitat, but will not list the species as threatened or endangered at this time. According to FWS, the listing is warranted, but precluded by work on higher priority listing actions. Monarch butterflies are now a candidate for listing as threatened or endangered under the Endangered Species Act. Its status will be reviewed each year until the species is no longer a candidate. FWS Director Aurelia Skipwith said FWS must focus resources on higher priority listing actions. She said FWS is committed to continuing its conservation efforts for the monarch. According to FWS, over the past 20 years, scientists have noted declines in North American monarch butterflies overwintering in Mexico and California. In 1996, there were an estimated 384 million monarch butterflies in North America. 
As of 2019, there were about 60 million. FWS began a thorough assessment of monarch butterfly populations after they were petitioned to list them in 2014. FWS has given the monarch butterfly a priority number of eight. According to the service, that indicates the magnitude of threats is moderate and those threats are imminent. Conservation efforts are underway across the nation to protect monarch butterflies and milkweed, which is vital to their reproduction. Additional details are available at fws.gov backslash save the monarch. That's fws.gov backslash save the monarch. You can also visit farmersformonarchs.org. That is farmersformonarchs.org. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The cattle, cotton, and corn markets all moved to the upside to kick the week off on Monday. However, the wheat market took a hit. We'll take a closer look at our livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. back looking at another lopsided matchup jim today we have a combine taking on a train yeah that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine no competition there right especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train that's 18 football fields it's no contest every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings see tracks think train this message brought to you by operation lifesaver We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market climbed on Monday to kick off the week. Of course, we have a holiday-shortened trading week this week. The markets will be closed on Friday. But as we started on Monday, higher prices for both live and feeder cattle futures. December live cattle up 90 cents, 113.05. February up 80 cents at 115.77. The April up 55. 11952. January feeder cattle up 7 cents, closing at 141 even. March feeders up 27, 14260. April feeder cattle up 20 cents at 14412. Cash fed cattle market quiet to kick off the week on Monday, as we usually see. Of course, last week we wrapped up the fed cattle sales. 110 was the price that moved most of our cattle last week. That was $2 higher than the previous week. Of course, ex- expecting the feedlots to ask for more money this week. Show lists appear to be somewhat higher here in Texas, also larger in Kansas, Nebraska, and Colorado. Boxed beef prices higher on Monday. Choice was up a dollar, 208.54, select up 48 cents. 198.41. Let's check some feeder cattle auctions now. Of course, most of our feeder cattle auctions around the state closed here in this last couple of weeks, but we do have some reports that are a few days old. We'll go to Carnes County Livestock Exchange, Kennedy, Texas. Their last sale 10 days ago, they had 639 head. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers brought $1.50 to $1.85 a pound. Three to four weights a dollar. $1.41 to $1.85. Four to 500 pound steers, $1.41 to $1.79. Five to six weights, $1.22 to $1.51 a pound. Six to seven weight steers, $1.15 to $1.29. 
and seven to eight weight steers brought a dollar three to a dollar seventeen a pound. Slaughter cows twenty two to fifty five cents. Slaughter bulls sixty seven to eighty cents. Stocker cows seven ninety to nine ten a head. Cow calf pairs eight hundred to eight. 10 a pair. Quero Livestock Market, Quero, Texas. Their last sale had 1,607 head. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.22 to $1.70 a pound. Three to four weights, $1.27 to $1.80. Four to 500 pounders, $1.26 to $1.66. Five to six weight steers, a dollar twenty-one to a dollar fifty-eight. Six to seven hundred pounders, a dollar eight to a dollar twenty-six. And the seven to eight weight steers brought a dollar to a dollar twenty a pound. Slaughter cows fifteen to fifty-five cents. Slaughter bulls seventy to eighty-four cents. Now back over to the futures market, where lean hogs close lower Monday. February hogs down forty-five at sixty-six fifty. April down 35 at 70.75. January class 3 milk down 26 cents, 16.40 a hundredweight. It was a choppy trade in the cotton market on Monday, but we did end up closing higher. March cotton up 15 points, 76.35. The May up 14 at 77 cents even. December 21 cotton up 10. 7380. Fund selling came into the wheat market and pressured prices lower on both hard and soft wheat. July Kansas City wheat down 11 and a quarter, closing at 582 and a quarter. July Chicago wheat down 8 and 3 quarters, 607 a bushel. The corn market, however, setting new contract highs on Monday. March corn now over the 450 level. It was up 5 and a half, 456 and a half. September corn up 3 and 3 quarters, 433 and 3 quarters. In the energy markets, lower prices. January natural gas down 19 cents, 232. February crude oil down 52 cents at 47 cents. 71 a barrel. The financial markets higher. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 209 points, 30,409. The Nasdaq up 96 at 12,901. The S&P 500 up 33 at 3,736. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. Hope to see you then. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.